And it is very taxing and it is a bit shocking and scary and sad because it also sucks a lot of the joy out of the relationship. It's hard to find fun, meaningful experiences if you get into this perpetual dynamic. And I know it's not all the time, like we were saying, but it's it can easily become a habit. And so it's helpful for both people to learn how to regulate and also how to hold space in a way that's not enabling. Welcome back to another episode. I have been wanting to do this one for a while, so I'm pretty excited about it. Love to welcome Violet back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited about this. So today we're talking about how do you support her when she's going through a hard time and also get your needs met. So one of the patterns I think I've seen a couple of times in my work, particularly with couples, and I think you might have seen this as well, Violet, is when she's going through a hard time, and I think that both of us can also relate to this as women, as individuals, um, sometimes um, I can put put a lot of my needs on my partner um, around sort of making me feel better or soothing me or um, meeting my needs or yeah, just helping to ground me. And we're going to be talking a lot in this episode about um, regulation and dysregulation. So what it means to have a regulated nervous system versus a dysregulated nervous system. So um, yeah, I'm curious, maybe in your own words, Violet, what, what does it feel like to you when you're regulated and what does it feel like to you when you're dysregulated? And then maybe you can talk about a few things that you know, lead you down a dysregulation path, shall we say? <laughs> yes. I think the biggest words associated with when I'm feeling regulated are spaciousness and resourcefulness. Like, okay, this isn't urgent. This isn't life-threatening. I can take a breath. I can wait to bring this up to my partner. I can do something about it myself before they're available, or I can lighten the load, you know, with myself. It just feels like all systems go mental, emotional, and body versus when I'm not regulated, it really feels like my emotions are just running the show and there's nothing wrong with emotional expression, but it doesn't leave me a lot of room to be creative with how I'm responding to the situation and situations that bring it about. I mean, gosh, it could be anything from like having a hard day with my daughter, Ruby to, Uh, uncertainty in a dynamic with a friend and not knowing like how a relationship is going or how I'm being perceived in my community to, you know, fertility challenges or a huge stressor. And then anytime I'm doing something new, whether it's launching a new course or planning something new kind of out in the world or expressing myself in a new way, I always feel like a little more on edge. And I think I don't always recognize that until I'm in it. I don't prepare enough probably for the uncertainty that life brings and the vulnerability of, of creating and creating something new. Yeah. Thank you for, for speaking to that because in preparing for this and jotting down, you know, reasons that I end up 
having a dysregulated nervous system, a lot of it came back to uncertainty. So when I feel uncertain about the outcome of something, say, you know, I'm applying to a house, to lease a house, am I going to get it? Are they going to pick me? Is this going to work out? That's when I notice I have a lot more dysregulation. Um, And I think that's a very common experience. So they did a a study once about um, reasons that people, common reasons that human beings are under stress or feel anxiety and stress and uncertainty is a huge one. And then powerlessness. So the, the combination of something being uncertain, but us having a certain degree of control is one thing versus having uncertainty and no degree of control or little degree of control is one of the most stressful places for human beings to be in. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, the dysregulation versus regulation conversation in, in sort of lay people's terms, uh, I would say when you're regulated, you know, you're more calm and you're more, you're more at ease. You feel more peace when you're dysregulated you're freaking out. <laughs> like a part of you is freaking out and everybody's freak out looks a little different. And one of the patterns that I've seen, um, in myself, and I would say maybe some of the, um, clients that I've worked with, particularly women is when I'm dysregulated, I have a hard time settling down. So I'm, I, my breathing is more rapid. I'm, I'm sort of pacing around. My speaking is more rapid. I'm crying more. I have sleep troubles. Like I can't, it's, it's for me, I don't have trouble falling asleep, but I end up waking up very, very early in the morning. That's an indication that I'm pretty dysregulated. Um, I'm just, I'm sort of hyper, I guess is the word that I would use. I'm sort of, I'm hyper. I'm, you know, sometimes talking a lot. And that's something that I've, I've seen sometimes in, in clients as well is just that just feeling of, of hyperactivity, hyper, um, hyperness. And I just wanted to touch briefly on um, the origin of this. So for many of us, myself included, the origin of this pattern is hypervigilance. And so my story, I think, is fairly universal, and I'll just share it, which is that um, in my home growing up, my mother was emotionally volatile. So she was very caring. She had a lot of love to give. She was a really good mom in some ways. and she was pretty um, emotionally volatile. So when she was upset about something, which was fairly frequent, like not, you know, not infrequent, um, she would get really dysregulated. And, And there's a way that certain people will take that out on the people around them, on the people that they love as a way of regulating. So it's almost like when they sort of yell at someone, right? Or when they kind of take their anger out on someone, they feel better. So they're actually regulating their nervous system by going on the attack with with someone outside of them. And I've noticed this behavior in myself too, not all the time, but I'm like, oh, I got really irritable with that person. And now I feel a little bit better. Like I kind of discharge some of my rage and that's not fair. That's not, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but it is a way of regulating. So when you grow up in a home like I did, I became hypervigilant at a very young age because I was constantly tracking my mother's moods, right? I was tracking her micro expressions, her facial expressions, the way she would move around a room, what time she got home, like all of that kind of thing. Because in my body, it felt like, oh, if I can predict or if I can manage her, right? If I can do the things that will calm her down, 
I will be safer. So I will be safe when she is regulated, I am safe. So I will do everything in my power to help her feel regulated so that I'm safe. We don't know that we're doing this. We don't grow up thinking this is a thing, but many of us, and I would say many of my clients, our clients, um, grew up in homes like this. So often if you had, um, an alcoholic parent, if you had a parent with a personality disorder, if you had a parent that wasn't managing stress well, um, you often have hypervigilance. And it can feel like what we're talking about, which is when there's any kind of uncertainty, there's a lot of stress on your system. And that can be life events, but it can also be your boss gave you a weird look. Like that's an example of you might get really triggered in an outsized fashion based on other people's facial expressions because your body mind has been trained to make sure that you're safe and the way that you're safe is that they feel okay. So if that feels familiar, you might have some hypervigilance going on. And um, hypervigilance, yeah, tends to be, get kicked up even more when we're in in periods of stress. Is there anything you want to add to that in terms of your own experience? Okay. I. I just want to say that, yeah, the part about discharging our emotions is really accurate and really common because there's too much energy in the system. And then during uncertainty, it's almost like we're looking for more certainty, looking for more control. So in my experience with myself and my clients, we open ourselves too much like, okay, universe, okay, God, okay, partner, okay, friend, like, tell me what I should do. And we kind of become the little child again, where we feel powerless And so it's both the uncertainty, but then it's also kind of opening ourselves too much to too many different influences and taking too much in. And sometimes when a parent is volatile and then sometimes too, when a parent is neglectful, because then we're always trying to read them and wonder, did I do something wrong? When are they going to give me attention? And over time, then sometimes that can make us check out and have more of an avoidant attachment style. But I know in my case, like my dad was emotionally volatile. My mom was emotionally neglectful, but I felt hypervigilant about both of them. Yeah, that's a really good, good point. And I think the the emotional root cause is, am I going to be safe? And am I going to get my needs met? Are my needs going to be met? Or am I going to be all alone? And that's kind of the driver. That's the engine. That's the the power behind the hypervigilance and behind the stress and uncertainty and anxiety is fuck. Am I going to get my needs met? Am I going to get what I need? And, um, so basically uh, the pattern that we're talking about today is how do you as a man support a woman when she's going through a hard time? And I think that this is, this is a really relevant topic because we're not going through a hard time all the time, right? It's it's in per- in periods of great stress or periods of great uncertainty. It's almost like if you think of um of a bridge of a suspension bridge, those are the times when there's the most weight on the bridge. So there's a test the the relationship is tested when one or both people are going through something difficult because you know, the strategies that we use are 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 tested. And so we kind of want to make the point in this episode that it's, and I'm going to be talking about the dynamic of a man and a woman. This can be for anyone. And in this case, we're talking about when the woman is pretty dysregulated for an extended period of time. So say she lost her job or she's thinking of, or she's having a really hard time at work. Something is going on at work. Or, you know, in my case, she's been without stable housing for a while and she's still, she's still looking for a place and it's been months, right? Or these sort of extended periods or fertility issues, things that are going on for a while, like 
we're trying, we're still trying, we're still trying, we're still trying, it's still uncertain, we still don't know, like that, that's kind of the dynamic we're talking about, rather than just one incident during the course of a week. Um, And I think overall, um, what I kind of want to offer is that it's up to us, the women, or the dysregulated partner, whoever that is, it's it's partly our responsibility to to learn ourselves and to learn how we are soothed best. How do we soothe ourselves? And I don't just mean soothing ourselves with our attention on ourselves. We are going to talk about that. But for example, soothing ourselves by spending time with women friends, soothing ourselves by spending time in nature, soothing ourselves. So when I say soothing ourselves, it's not just we are giving attention to ourselves, but we're placing ourselves in circumstances that help us to regulate. And when we have a really good partner, I think something that happens is we get used to relying on them. We get used to relying on him to get our needs met and we get used to relying on him for support. And so there's this immediate tangible, particularly if you're cohabitating person that you're coming home to, that's like, oh, perfect. He's right there. You know, this is where I'm going to go to, to regulate. And I think in this episode, part of what we're doing is just raising awareness around us, the dysregulated partner, diversifying how we soothe ourselves, just diversifying like all the different ways that we can soothe and and be soothed so that we don't have to rely quite so heavily on, on the man. And part of the reason that this is relevant is that, you know, in my work with men, it can be a little overwhelming for them to be that source of support in such a um, in such a deep way for such a long time. And sometimes what happens is they they can start to withdraw or other other dynamics can happen. And it's not that they don't care or they don't love us. It's like their ner- their nervous system becomes taxed. Being that person that's holding space for an extended period of time ends up being kind of hard on their system. And so again, we want to diversify and make sure that we're, we're distributing the load and so that everyone is getting their needs met um, and that we don't sort of suffer a rupture in that primary dynamic, which would, which would make everything worse. It's like you're uncertain and you're, you know, now having a fight or like feeling distant from that person. We want to kind of avoid that. Any, any comments on that before we get into regulation strategies? Yeah, I just wanted to mention that men, you know, we're going to be talking later about words you can use and things you can do to still support your partner when she's dysregulated. So it doesn't mean that you can't still be supportive, but doing it in a way that makes it really clear that each of you are responsible for your own nervous system regulation. You know, there's this popular belief like, oh, our partner's job is to meet our needs. And I actually don't believe that. I think our partner's job is to co-create with us, co-create a life, co-create community, co-create art, co-create a business, like whatever it is that your vision of love is. And some of that co-creation means healing our past with each other. But I mean, I've been with men who are very dysregulated when before I met Jason, and it is very taxing and it is a bit shocking and scary and sad because it also sucks a lot of the joy out of the relationship. It's hard to find fun, meaningful experiences if you get into this perpetual dynamic. And I know it's not all the time, like we were saying, but it's, it can easily become a habit. And so it's helpful for both people to learn how to regulate and also how to hold space in a way that's not enabling. Yeah. Well said. And I also want to be clear that we're not saying don't, don't co-regulate with your partner. We're, we're just saying 
it's almost like if you imagine having a garden, we want to plant more flowers in the garden. We don't just always want to go to the sunflower. Like I'm obsessed with the sunflower and the sunflower is my only source of support. We want other sources of support in the garden. Um, but co-regulation is a big part of the value and the, what's the word? Um, the benefit of being in a relationship. So for example, on my list of co-regulation or sorry, of regulating strategies that I've employed, one of them is very long hugs. So there's a bunch of research. I teach this to my people. A lot of you might already know this, but if you hug someone for seven or more breaths, so full breaths in and out, belly to belly hug, which is not the way most people in the West hug. We hug for like maybe one second tops. And if you hold longer than that, people think you're weird. I'm talking about 30 plus seconds, a long hug. It is physiologically true that oxytocin will be released in your body. And if you're combining that hug with deep breaths, so seven deep breaths, that is a very effective regulation strategy. And so, for example, um, I'm extremely sensitive to caffeine. I, I'm very sensitive to caffeine. It doesn't, I don't do well with it. And I order coffee. I always order decaf. And occasionally a barista messes up and I end up um, caffeinated. And that's very dysregulating to my nervous system. So I remember once being away in a different city and I realized, oh shit, I'm caffeinated. And it takes a while for the caffeine to kick in. So it's not just like 30 minutes after I drink. It's like hours later, I'm like, fuck. And I was staying at a friend's place. I was alone. And I called a friend, a different friend and said, can I come over and just be with you guys? Just hang out tonight. Just be around people because I knew companionship is one of the things that regulates me. And when I arrived, I said, would you be willing to do a long hug with me to my woman friend? And she's not, you know, into the work as much. She's not as familiar with all this stuff, but she was happy to provide that for me. And I was very clear. I need this to be very long and for us to breathe together. And we did, and it helped a lot. So co-regulation is a thing and can be a thing and can happen with people other than your partner too. So we're not saying don't do that. We're just saying there's other, there's other things to bring in as well. Um, so that's, yeah, one of mine, I guess can, we can maybe trade off. One of mine is very long hugs and that works with my partner. It works with friends. And again, that strategy is belly to belly. The deeper you breathe, the better, at least seven breaths. And if you can do that, like a couple of times that, that hour, right. A couple of times that night, even better, or that day you, you want to get a couple of these hugs in, it makes a really big difference. And, um, and I guess I also just want to say, um, just to name, I guess you could call it a privilege that I hold is I do think that this can be easier for women to, to make requests. I think it is harder because of the patriarchy for men to feel comfortable asking, or, you know, I'm, I'm imagining a man asking his guy friend, you'd need to be pretty close or feel pretty safe with that person to ask. So, um, fuck the patriarchy. I'm sorry <laughs> to all of you men. I see you. I know that, that, that might not be available to you, but if it is, I think that can be a really good one. And it can also happen with family members, for example, or siblings or parents or whoever that you, that you have access to. And I also just want to offer that if you don't have someone to give you a deep hug, you can hug a pillow, you can hug a stuffed animal, you can have a weighted blanket. Like there's other ways to get that pressure release. It's not as good as a deep hug, but there, there are physiological 
benefits to containment. And that's part of what a hug is doing is it's containing your nervous system. And I think a lot of times women are subconsciously seeking containment. We have big emotions. We have big uncertainty. We have a lot going on and we want a man to hold us energetically and emotionally. And sometimes our needs are just bigger than one individual man, one individual person. So I love what you said about the hug. Um, I will offer one that's independent of another human and then one that's very dependent on other humans. So having a daily ritual, I think is key. I had to really hone this when I became a mom and I just did not have as much time. And it's not like every day I'm doing it, but as much as I can, you know, I get some time away from my phone and my computer and I do my morning pages, which is something from Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, among other things. And it's just like a brain dump. You know, you're writing freehand for three pages. And it helps me process some of my underlying anxieties or questions or things that I've been mulling over. And then also I try to do some affirmations and some meditation. And it only takes maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes to do all three of those things. But if I do all of those things, then I know that no matter what else comes up during the day, like I've got a better chance of handling it because I've already done the things that fill my tank and also take away the extra energy. You know, it's like filling up, but then taking away the things that are, that are too much. Um, and the other thing I've got to mention about my daily ritual is I've gotten really into having tea in the morning and tea at night. That's not caffeinated. And there's something about drinking something warm and that's soothing that's nurturing. And then I can pick specific teas based on what I need. So at night I drink more calming teas or kind of opening teas for dreams. In the morning I drink more like nourishing and grounding teas. And I say that just because there's a lot of allies that are not human, like plant allies and earth-based allies. And then in terms of the human connection beyond our partner, we mentioned in the beginning, like Mel, you mentioned a women's group or hanging out with your friends. Like I think community is a vastly undertapped resource. We live in a society that doesn't promote community, so it's no one's fault. But when we're around a lot of people, even just virtually, but ideally in person, it's deeply regulating to our nervous system. There's something that happens in a social setting that we can't just get one-on-one from our partner. And so whether you're in a co-ed practice group, whether you're in a women's group, whether you just make it a point to get together with your girlfriends at least once a month, like our nervous systems are meant to be in packs, like in packs of people. And that can help us to feel like we don't have to hold everything. I'll just tell a quick story that like, there's so many times where I felt resentful or mad or upset adjacent about something. And then I go hang out with my girlfriends and I come back and I'm like, Oh, I love you. I love you so much. Everything feels fine. And it's amazing how, what I think is a big deal in the scheme of things when I'm regulated is not a big deal. I really appreciate that. The distinction between how things feel or look or seem when we're regulated versus dysregulated, they feel overwhelming, major, and uh, impossible to me sometimes when I'm dysregulated. And when I'm regulated, I'm like, it's probably going to work out. It'll be fine. It's just sort of like big problems become small issues and, and vice versa. And I wanted to say that, um, when I lived in San Francisco, I was very dysregulated a lot of the time for a certain period. I was living, I just, I felt alone a lot. I felt deeply alone a lot lot of the time, but I remember a bright spot in my week was a dance class. And I remember consistently going to class, feeling like shit and leaving class feeling on top of the world. And part of it was just having a place to shine. It was a class that I felt like was right at my level. I could, I could do the moves. I felt 
sort of, yeah, I think I felt in control, whereas in my life, I felt out of control in, in many ways. And so it was a respite. And so I think, you know, to your point, a big part of that was it was a social experience, right? There were 10 or 12 of us in class and we were kind of collaborating, not exactly collaborating, but we were together and we were doing something fun and there was music and dance. So I think when we're incorporating, you know, regulation strategies, a really fun dance class once a week counts. That counts. So if you're, yeah, if you're out there wondering, what can I do? That's one of the things it's like something fun once a week that gets you out of the house, interacting with other people, especially if there's something artistic involved. So musical dance related, just something like that is invaluable. And it was a big part of how I, yeah, how I regulated and creative ideas came to me after class. I just remember, cause I would bike there and back. I just remember like feeling like there was a dark cloud over me when I would bike there and then biking home being like, everything is awesome. Look at this great like tree. So I think there's, yeah, it was a very distinct contrast between those two. And then the other one I wanted to mention was a regulation strategy for me is spending more time off my device. My relationship with my phone, with my smartphone is an ongoing, you know, it's an ongoing thing. And one of the things that has helped me is turning off all notifications. You don't have to do this. I'm just saying for me, even hearing my phone buzz uh, spikes my nervous system. I can feel like, what is it? Who is it? What, you know, is something wrong? A lot of my hypervigilance is is triggered by that. Um, And so I, I sort of did this in stages and I've not had my phone on, you know, on beeping for a long time, but I have had it on vibrate for a while. And I recently, I'd say within the past few months, turned off literally all notifications. It doesn't buzz. It doesn't have, you know, I don't have any of the pop-ups of the, you know, the notifications that pop up. So whenever I look at my phone now, all I see is the time. If I click into places, I still have badges updated, but I guess I just want to empower all of you out there. If that's a thing for you, consider changing the changing your relationship with your device and how especially notifications because having a little buzzing object that's reminding you that someone needs your attention something needs your attention isn't really healthy for us as human beings we're not meant to live that way and it's actually a regulation strategy to change that and to have and and literally to have less less screen time particularly at night so now i'm working on having my phone away at least two hours before sleep um, so that I'm not kind of bombarded by the variety of things that are happening on my device. Um, Yeah. So that, that was, that was something that came up when I was making my list of how I regulate. I love those ideas because it's so easy to take on too much and get jolted, like you said, out of our present moment. And I also just want to say for anyone listening who's like, well, why should I have to do these things? Like, that sounds like a lot of work or, you know, I don't really have a lot of ways to regulate. You know, maybe you're listening to this and you're single or your partner travels a lot or is busy with work. Like there is no shame in needing something and someone to teach you how to regulate because we think that we should just know this, that it's innate to being a human being, but we're so caught off from our bodies and from the earth and from these more indigenous ways of being that we don't get taught how to do it. In fact, when we're young, we we get our emotions kind of stamped out of us or told to push down. And so I would say most everyone on the planet doesn't know how to regulate. 
And just to normalize things, there was a time in my life where I thought the only people I have in my life that really know how to support me are people that I'm paying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so embarrassed. Like the only people who know how to support me are my therapist and my coach and other people that I'm paying. But I realized like that was just a season in my life. That was a short amount of time where I was dealing with a lot of childhood trauma that I was finally unpacking and looking at. And I feel blessed and grateful that I had the space and the time and the money to be able to have those, those support systems. And there's all different types of support systems, but I feel like we either do the work in relationship or out of relationship and sometimes both, but there's no shame in needing, needing some extra tools because even if you had amazing parents and you didn't feel like you had to be that hypervigilant, you may have a stressful work. Like the world is so complex that it's, there's nothing wrong if you need a little extra support. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. I think that's a really, that's wise. Actually, that feels wise. And I've, I've definitely witnessed a number of clients have a similar journey where they're very lonely when they show up and they don't have a lot of support. And I think that, you know, Jason and I, and our group is one of the sole sources of support that they have. But to your point, I think through the work, they become more regulated. And from that place, they make closer friends and they build more community. And so that it's almost like a bridge step sometimes to get to the place where you have strong community and you have strong connections and you don't, you know, you have more of the variety that we're talking about. So thanks for speaking to that. I think that's a common experience for a lot of people who do the work is that there is a phase of, wow, the only people that can truly emotionally support me, right? Like particularly family members, sometimes it's like, I'm still seeing my family, but they actually don't support me very well. (laughs) So you might have humans in your life, but they can't really hold the kind of space that you actually need. And for a while, those, the folks that, that can might be paid mentors. Um, Another way that I regulate is um, artistic expression. So I'm thinking particularly of, um, I remember in college, I was, I would get dysregulated much more frequently than I do now. And there was one, there were two strategies. One was I, I lived in a cooperative and we had access to a really great kitchen and I would bake bread. I would make bread or baked goods because I really enjoyed like punching the dough, rolling the dough out. It was a very kind of physical experience and I could punch that dough and move some energy through my body. And I really loved the, again, the sense of control in when, when I felt emotionally out of control, baking bread or creating or baking muffins or something was something I could control. I knew the steps. I knew where the flour was. I knew, I knew what to expect. I knew that at the end of it, there would be something physical that I had created. So it gave me a sense of control and, and generativity, right? So I'm creating something, I'm generating something. It feels good to produce something, to, to, to have something that, that shows that I did something. And, you know, of course bread smells really good. And then I had something to give people. So it was, it was a generative way that I moved energy and I also wrote um, poems. So I would write. So I'm a writer. I've written for my whole life. And I've noticed that when I'm when I'm anxious, when I'm stressed, when I'm upset, when I'm dysregulated, um, and we talk about this a lot in, in our program, but many of us choose to consume versus create. So we're feeling dysregulated and we consume. So maybe we watch television, maybe we watch porn, maybe we drink alcohol, maybe we eat food. These are all consumption activities versus creative activities, which is I play guitar, I bake something, I write a poem, I um, 
go for a walk and talk to a friend, I I'm generating something. Um, and, and generally when we're creating where it's a more, what's the word? It's a more effective strategy because we're actually metabolizing the energy that's in our bodies rather than, um, just stuffing it down or numbing it. So I remember once I was really upset and I, um, went downstairs, I went for a walk, I came back, I wrote a poem and I could not believe how much better I felt. It was like night and day. And it was just this light bulb moment of like, wow, this, this should be what I, what I reach for when I'm in this state. And, and the truth is we're all learning how to do this. So if you don't do this kind of thing yet, and you do have regulation strategies that involve consumption, there's no shame in that. We're just offering a different way, way of doing it. Because the truth is you are self-medicating. We we are all doing our best to regulate. And sometimes what we have found works best is something that we consume. And so there's nothing wrong with that. We're just sort of pointing out that there are other ways to do it that, that work actually better and you can start to incorporate and play with. And I think that artistic expression, even if that's like singing along to a song that you love really loudly in the car, that can be very regulating. Anything where you're expressing, like you're moving energy through your body, you're expressing. Um, yeah, song, dance, art, creativity, painting. I know that you've used painting and, and other art in the past as well, Violet. Um, creativity is a way of regulating and it's pretty effective. Absolutely. Yeah, creativity is one of my biggest tools that I go to. And to your point, it's amazing how much the energy shifts. It's like a positive place to discharge and transmute and alchemize all of the energy that we're wrestling with. And again, it doesn't have to be like with a human. It can be baking and and poetry and pottery and having something tactile can also really help. Cause I know a lot of times I get in my head and I'm ruminating about something, but when I'm doing something with my hands, then it gets the energy flowing out through my body. And one way that I talk about it with my clients is, are you numbing or are you nourishing? So if you're nourishing yourself, it's going to feel additive at the end. And if you're numbing, it might just be like, okay, I got back to neutral, but now I have to numb out again the next time I feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And this is, this is, I just want to shout out one of our, one of our pillars, one of our clients who recently said, um, that he was feeling, he didn't phrase it like this, but he was upset. He was upset. He was having a lot of feelings in his body. And usually he would yeah, go to one of the numbing techniques, one of the numbing strategies that he used to employ. And he made a different choice this time. This time he actually yeah, he texted a friend and was like, Hey, do you have time to listen to me for a minute? So he actually reached out for help and for attention. That person said, yes, he called, he called them. And this was someone that he felt safe with. that He felt was emotionally available. And he just started bawling. He just started to cry. Like almost as soon as they got on the phone, cried for a while, the friend held space, listened, and it was deeply nourishing for him. And it was a totally different strategy. He had never employed that strategy before. And he was like, I felt so much better after it was definitely the right call. And I guess I just want to shout that out because yeah, on my list is talking to an emotionally safe person for me is deeply regulating. Just being able to express aloud what's happening in my nervous system and my, my body, mind, just what's on my heart and, and feeling witnessed, I think is, is the opposite of how I felt when I was young sometimes having big overwhelming feelings and feeling alone. Like I didn't have, like mom was going through something. I was really 
anxious about that. And I didn't have anyone to share it with. I didn't have anyone to express to. And so I think particularly for those of us that are extroverts who tend to think aloud and process aloud, this is also known as verbal processing. And um, particularly some folks on the spectrum um, have verbal processing as a primary need. That's really helpful. And I I guess I really want to shout out that man because that's a game-changing breakthrough for that man. Like that, that is a strategy he can now employ for his whole life. That's going to help in many ways. And it was a brave new choice for him to do that, to actually say like what I, what I've done in the past is this other thing. I don't think it was porn for him, but let's say that that's, that's a thing that you've done of like, I'm feeling a certain way. I don't really want to feel it. This is a way that I know will, will numb. And instead actually reaching out to someone safe and having a conversation. Now that only works if you have a safe, emotionally safe person in your life to, to, to help with that. To, your, to, you know, to our previous point, sometimes there are seasons in our life where we actually don't have that present in our lives. But if you do, that can be really effective. And I've used that, you know, in the past. And I think related is um, the app Voxer, V-O-X-E-R, I'll drop it in the show notes, is an app where we can leave extended voice notes to people. And I've used Voxer and I know Violet and I both use Voxer is another way of being able to talk to a friend, even if they're not available in that moment. So you can leave this long voice note and then they can listen whenever they they can and they can respond in kind. And that's been, yeah, a big um, source of support in my life of just getting things off my chest by expressing them with words is, is a way of regulating um, that I think is, shouldn't be overlooked. I agree. I does. I do think it takes a lot of bravery to repattern our nervous system because it's kind of the only thing we've ever known until we actually try to change it. And it's such a close tie to our nervous system or sorry, to our personality. It's like our per- personality and nervous system are sometimes so fused. It's like, ah, oh, if I change this, am I changing who I am? But I've always found you just become more, more of yourself. And maybe we can talk now about for men, how they can support their partner when she's feeling dysregulated. Because one of the reasons that I've developed all of these strategies is because I kind of had to, like, not just when I was single, but even with Jason, like the way he supports me is very deep and powerful, but it's also very clear, like that I need to do my own work around this. Yeah. There's just one more strategy I want to include before we shift, which is, um, we've prioritized, uh, sort of low cost or free strategies up to this point. And I want to talk about somatic therapy briefly because a primary way that I regulate my nervous system is through somatic therapy that is paid mentorship. Um, and there are also free resources, some of which I'm going to drop in the chat. So I get network spinal analysis, which we've talked about before on the podcast, which is a somatic therapy that's heavily evidence-based. And I probably go once a week when I'm very dysregulated, I'll go twice a week. And I think that's just something to mention is we do go through seasons of higher pressure and higher stress. And when we do that, it is more important for us to get more support. It is, it's a priority to get, to receive more support at those times. Um, I'm also doing somatic experiencing these days and, um, a lower cost alternative is something called TRE, which is trauma release experiencing or um, tension release experiencing. I think it's experiencing. The E might be something else. 
um, exercises, tension release exercises, TRE. I will also drop that in the show notes because there's a free video online that walks you through TRE exercises. Um, If you're experiencing extreme distress or you're trying to metabolize um, deep trauma, you should work with a TRE practitioner. But if you're relatively stable and you're using it to um, to regulate and you have other strategies, you, you feel generally like okay, then you can, you can use it. And I'll drop that video in, in the chat, but I have found TRE to be another helpful way of regulating. Um, so do you want to touch on any of your own sort of somatic therapy experiences as a, as a resource for regulating before we switch? Absolutely. I agree that somatic releasing and TRE are so helpful and really anything that's embodied and anything that gets you out of the story. Cause one of the problems with verbal processing or going to our partner with things going on is that it's so easy for us to get addicted to our own narratives and not realize when we're spinning. And then no matter what our partner says or does, it's sometimes hard to get out of that, or we might get out of it temporarily, but just go right back into it again when something comes up or the same trigger happens. And what I loved about my experience with somatic therapy, which I did for about five years, is that I became so skilled at noticing, okay, here's the emotion I'm having. Here's how it's showing up in my body. Here's what my inner child needs related to that. Here's how I can parent and soothe that part of me. And here are some things that they need over the long term that I can build into place so that I have more options going forward. And I have like a deeper way that I'm meeting this need versus just reactionary. And TRE is a little different than somatic experiencing, but same thing. There's no story. You're not getting into the memory or the how or why or who. You're just letting your body do its thing. And one of the things I love about TRE is that it's kind of like an animal. An animal, when they go through something challenging, they shake. Their body knows how to release the trauma. And our bodies know how to release the trauma too. Like you'd be surprised by doing a TRE video you will most likely have a somatic release without having to go through any of the narrative. And to me, that's really priceless. And then after doing TRE for a while, there's times where I'll be in the middle of the night having a nightmare. I'll wake up. I'll tell Jason, he'll start to hold me. And as soon as he holds me, I'll start shaking. Like I'll have a TRE, a release of the trauma starting normally in my solar plexus, but sometimes in more my psoas muscles, like having done it a while, my body now just knows how to shake kind of like the animal. And then I don't have to feel like I'm carrying the residue of that. I really appreciate what you just said about, I think there's a balance between verbal processing, like we were saying, and I I can recognize this myself. There's a balance between verbal processing and complaining. Um, And I think that the you know, to your point, the story, if we're telling the same story over and over and over, there's generally emotional charge underneath that needs to be moved through. And I think that's part of the value of somatic therapies is bypassing the story, bypassing that part of us that wants to explain or complain or just talk about something. Um, so there's, it's a fine line, right? There's, there is value to that and to getting something off your chest. And there's also a lot of value to going underneath. So TRE, for example, induces a state of what Violet's pointing to, which is called neurogenic shaking, which is essentially discharging tension in the body. So there's tension built up. You can feel it. You can feel your stomach is tight. You're breathing shallowly. Your shoulders are tense. You can feel like when I was in a recently in in an extended period of hypervigilance, my body was tense a lot of the time going to sleep, waking up and, 
you know, one of those days that I woke up, I, I chose to do a TRE video because I knew like this tension isn't going to go anywhere unless I actually do something about it, right? It's, I need to physically release some of what I've been carrying for such a long time now. And that um, neurogenic shaking is, it's agnostic to the thoughts. You don't need to, to talk about something. And so this is also really useful if you are someone that you know has gone through a traumatic event that they don't want to talk about. They don't want to share. Um, again, in, in that case, they should get a TRE practitioner. Um, but these kinds of somatic therapies are invaluable when you're not necessarily ready to talk about something, but your body is carrying tension and you need a way of discharging that. So yeah, TRE is a, a great option for that. The paid somatic therapies are a great option if you have the resources. And we recognize that that is not accessible to everyone all the time. I've definitely been in seasons of my life where I could not afford that. And, um, and, and we respect that we get that there's, there are also other strategies that you can employ. The last one that I will share before we shift, which I think was on both of our lists was a weighted blanket. I have used a weighted blanket for years and it's again, heavily evidence-based it's used in a lot of different circumstances, including for children that are, that are in distress or in, in psych units, um, to help soothe them because there's something about, again, mimicking a baby being swaddled that is deeply soothing to the human nervous system across the board, across cultures. There's something about feeling held, physically held and swaddled and um, that that's irreplaceable. So a weighted blanket, I will sleep with it actually, especially in times of, of stress, or I'll lay under it and do a meditation or a guided meditation of some kind. And it, it I find that that's, that's really effective. Um, any last things to share before we shift? I mean, there are so many strategies I use on a day-to-day -day basis and it depends on what I'm geeking out about or what I'm excited about at the time. But I think we covered a lot of really great ones. And I guess the last thing I'll say is if you're not sure, I like to think about the five senses. You know, what do I need in terms of touch, sight, sound, text, uh, uh, taste, you know, all of the things, because most likely there's one thing for every sense that really lights you up or soothes you. And they can be simple things to have on, on hand, like binaural beats mixed with fresh berries, mixed with a weighted blanket, mixed with a candle lit. Like you kind of can give yourself these five or 10 minute, like really big, um, experiential, sensual resets. I would also shout out laughter, a belly laugh. I I've often in the past when I've been in deep, deep states of uh, anxiety, uh, I've watched um, carpool karaoke is one for me and any kind of bloopers, like newsreel bloopers or bloopers from my favorite shows. Laughter is deeply regulating. So I know we're, we want to shift, but there's lots of strategies. And I think the point of this is more, employ many of these, right? Employ many of these um, outside of just, just a partner. So ways that men can support women, particularly when they're going through a hard time. So I'm going to let you um, take the floor here a little bit, Violet, with, um, I think there are a bunch of really great things that Jason has done and does around this, because I think that it can be, um, yeah, it's it can be sensitive sometimes for men who are like, Hey, I'm noticing like, this is actually a lot for me to be holding a lot of space and they don't want to tell their partner. It's sort of like, it could be come across as offensive or come across as 
um, you're too much. And I think a lot of women have a sensitivity around being too much. So how can men support women and get their own needs met around this, this kind of thing when she's going through something hard? That's a great question because it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And the ways that Jason phrases it, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but from the beginning, he's always said things with a lot of empathy, but like, wow, that sounds really hard for you. Or how are you going to get support with this? Or, hey, have you talked to your girlfriends about this yet? You know, like he's trying to ask questions so that I feel supported, but he's also making it clear like that there are other ways for me to get supported than just beyond him. And a conversation that we've had multiple times is him saying, you know, sometimes the type of support you need feels like nurturing, feels like mothering energy, feels like kind of tending to your wounds and really comforting you. And he's like, I just, I'm not wired that way. Like I can't comfort you like a mother would. I don't, I don't know how to do that. That's not my skill set. And it's hard those things. It's hard to not have him just instantly fix my nervous system and give me everything I need, but it's also really empowering and, and has given me a lot of clarity on what I can do for myself. And then therefore what I can also help my clients with. And sometimes he will offer like a practical solution, you know, Hey, can I give you a break with Ruby? But, you know, Ruby's really young and she's still really attached to me. So just cause he wants to give me a break doesn't mean that she's always like down for that. Um, and then there was a particular situation where I had just piles of resentment because of feeling stressed as a new mom in the pandemic with a child who's deaf. And um, even though she's thriving now with her cochlear implants, there was just a lot going on at the time. And one of the most helpful things is he's like, well, what could I do to help you clear the resentment? Like what would make you feel better about this? And in that exact exact situation, I was really stressed about finances. So I was like, you can pay my part of the rent for this next month. Like that would take such a load off. And he was like, okay, I will. And so it was so simple, but it really, really made a difference. Um, so there's things you can do to support your person, but I think it's also you knowing as the partner who's more regulated that it's not your job to make her feel better. It's not your job to fix everything going on and that you can be there with her holding space for her, but still encourage her to do other things. So for instance, like when he was telling me about, you know, I can't seem to give you that nurturing that you need he wasn't saying I'm overwhelmed and I don't think I can meet your needs. He was saying, yeah, I want you to have mothering energy. I want you to have grandmothering energy. And then he would make suggestions like, have you, how about setting up a session with Anne? Anne is a like 75 year old therapist. Who's amazing. And um, she provides a lot of that grandmother energy. So over time I've learned to bring those things into my life on my own without him having to suggest it. The other layer I'll just say is that when we first met, he was really clear that his last partner had been emotionally codependent with him, that she expected him to regulate her nervous system when she was feeling low. And then he expected her to regulate his nervous system by having sex with him when he wanted, you know, so there is this pattern where men want their sexual needs met. That's one of the ways that they regulate. And I'm being very gender binary here, but and stereotypical, but one of the partners, you know, will, will want their regulation needs to happen through sex. And one will want their regulation needs to happen through talking and through emotional processing. And so it's not like women are the only ones who want to regulate through their partner. It's just that the focus of this episode is on when someone is like really needing that emotional support. One thing that I've also found effective as a woman who's been in a dysregulated state is I've never had a male partner do this with me, but I had friends do it with me um, where I've you know been sharing, doing my thing. And then they've said, what are you needing right now? And there's something about that question that 
I get into a different space myself. It actually has me consider my own needs in a different way. Cause I think when I'm, when I'm sort of fused with a, um, a, a younger part or a more dysregulated, dysregulated part, something about that question helps me get into my prefrontal cortex, I think to get into a more, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but a different state. So that's a simple one that you can use as what are you needing right now? And then there's, there's something about putting that into words that I think can be really helpful. Um, I would also just, yeah, shout out, you know, um, for, for some couples, it is appropriate to bring in an outside resource. So if that's a couple's therapist or a couple's coach, um, someone that can hold space for the two of you to, to help you kind of go through the, what we're talking about, like, okay, let's make a list. What are five ways that you found over the course of your life so far that are regulating to you that help you regulate? Because they think this, even that word, it's a, such a new concept for a lot of people that they're, they're not familiar with it. It does. They've never really reflected on what regulates me and just being aware of this and understanding and bringing in some new strategies. Cause what happens a lot of time is when we're dysregulated, our world shrinks, right? We become our vision narrows. We are getting less sleep. We're less resourced. You know, we don't, we don't always think creatively. We don't always think bigger picture. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to get by. And so having, you know, someone else that's more regulated and more resourced to help us through those periods, that's why we bring in mentorship. That's why we bring in other people at those times is because we're having a hard time with that. So, um, yeah, one of the ways that I think as a man you can support is is bringing in outside resources if that if that is if that makes sense for your partnership in that time at that time um or creating space like i know there was something that you said at some point when we were talking about this of just like if you have children like arranging childcare and saying hey would you like a night off to go get a facial or take a bath or things that you know do help her regulate or you know, having this conversation like, oh, I've noticed that you you said going for a run is part of how you regulate. And I, I think you've been with the kids all day. You probably didn't have time to do that. Would you like to do that? Or sort of supporting her in the things that you know do help her regulate um, is a really good strategy. And I w- I'm throwing this out there. Part of what will help her is you making sure that you don't neglect your own needs. So there is something important in periods when one or both partners are stressed, it's actually really important that you are still doing your practices and that you are talking to friends and that you have mentorship in your life to help you discharge some of the tension you're holding. Because again, holding a partner who's going through a lot of uncertainty is stressful, right? You're you're taking on some of that load. You have you you do have added pressure in your own system. So your own self-care practices actually become um, even more needed at this time for you to actually be supported through that. And I know that, um, for example, psychologists, a lot of therapists and those in the helping profession um, need their own support groups and they have often their own strategies to help them discharge that sometimes it's even known as secondary post-traumatic stress disorder because they are the ones that are holding a lot. And this was a really big thing during the pandemic that the therapists and other helping professionals that were holding space, particularly for healthcare workers and first responders needed support too. So the first responders needed support, but the folks holding space for those first responders also needed support. 
anything you would add there as we're starting to wrap? No, I mean, it just reminds me of these webs of connection in the village and why it's so important to have communities you can drop into, friends and paid professional support you can drop into, both as a couple and as individuals, and to allow yourself the gift of that. Because what I found is every time I've gone through a hard time where I needed more regulation, I was focused on what wasn't working at the time. But after I put in the time or the money or the energy or the vulnerability you know, to go make new friends or to try a new activity it ended up replenishing me so much that not only did my nervous system get better and I had better relationship with Jason, but, you know, I started making more money or I started feeling more creative or I started feeling healthier. Like this has a ripple effect when you work on your nervous system through every aspect of your life. And to me, it's kind of nothing more important so that we can give our gifts in the world and be fulfilled and heal our lineages. Yeah. And I think really what we're speaking to in the end is resilience, deep earned resilience when we know how to soothe ourselves and we know the kinds of support that we need and where we can go we are building a deep well of of resilience and for those of you that are parents or are going to become parents you will transmit that to your children this won't just be something that you say it's something that you do so you're building a web and a deep well of resilience yourself and you're passing that along which is a huge gift down the generations, right down, down the lineage. And I think there's something you said, um, Violet, when we were talking about this earlier about the overflow that actually, when we figure this out and when we learn how to soothe ourselves, there's so much possibility and so much love and so much grace and just an overflow of, of potential and of, um, good feelings that it's worth investing in. It's not just like we get to a good place. It's like we get to a great place, right? We feel a sense of overflow around community and support and love and care. And, um, and not just from humans, but also from nature, just there's this wider experience that we can have of, of really being part of something greater, being part of the web. I think that's, I mean, I experience that when I, when I make certain art, like I said, or I'm in nature and I'm just experiencing that, um, sense of connection or a really, really good conversation with a friend. I just like, Oh, the kind of exhale, um, feeling of like, okay, yeah, I'm okay. I'm safe. Everything's going to be okay. And look at how beautiful this flower is. Look at how beautiful my friend is that just held that space for me. Like all is well. Um, I think that's a great place to wrap anything that you would add and how can people find you? Cause you also support, uh, women. Yes, I work with women through my programs and one-on-one, and I actually work with men and women either through couples coaching or through my program, Radiant Love, which is a co-ed container to learn how to communicate, clear resentments, play with archetypes, flirt, be connected to your erotic essence, relate in a deeper way with more vulnerability. Uh, Whether you're in a partnership, you can join or join with your partner or join as a single. Um, So yeah, you can just contact me at violet at violetlang.com. You can also go to my website, but it's not always up to date with all of my offerings. So email is usually the best. And then I can tell you what the different options are or keep you on the list for the next time I have a program. And I'll drop that link in the, in the chat as well. And if you are interested in the work that Jason and I do with men, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply and get more.